Good morning, Rio. My name is Sam Caston Smith, and I am the pastor of education here at Rio. And if you were wondering why Tom is not here, he was diagnosed with COVID on Thursday. Um, so he's doing well. Everything is good. But I want to take this opportunity to remotely wish him a happy birthday. He's, he's officially 30 years old today, right? That's, that's what he told me to say. Um, but anyway, like that just kind of fits one of the themes that we're going to talk about this morning because it just feels like there's an avalanche of discouraging things that keep happening in our community and in our world. And today, like Eric prayed, I want us to catch a glimpse of God's unbelievable, incredible, repeated acts of mercy and patience towards sinners. But more than that, I want us to see how much, because this is life-changing, I want us to see in this passage how much God desires to draw near to His people. It's really pretty remarkable to watch God pleading with His people, come to me, come to me. You know, I was at a Church United event where all these pastors from different churches come together on Thursday. We were at this event, one of the pastors got up, and he just began to, to do what actually Ryan did with that particular verse, you know, to calling on pastors to remember your first love. And then he rehearsed some of the stories that he had heard from different pastors and the discouragement that had been going on in the church and all of the volatility and all of the division and all of the setbacks of COVID and how it's been really demoralizing in the church, but not because of all the stuff. It's because in the midst of the stuff, we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We've forgotten that our first love walks with us in the middle of all these circumstances, and we need to return to that because that's what he deserves. That's what will strengthen his church to walk out in the middle of this chaotic world. And as he was talking just so beautifully and so eloquently, I'm listening around in the back of me because I'm in the front, and I just hear all these pastors sniffling. And it feels like there's this onslaught of evil and pain. Hurricane Ida and Afghanistan and this delta raging throughout the nation. Pastor Tom and Pastor Mason both out right now. We have people in our community, in our school, and in our church that are both battling this from hospitals. So in the middle of all this, yesterday, as I'm preparing my sermon, I get a phone call from my dad. And my mom's been battling lung cancer for three years now. My dad calls me yesterday to tell me that the doctor has given her 30 days. That's hard, man. But I'll tell you what that moment did. It was unbelievably beautiful, and it led me to a place of worship that I've been longing for for quite a while. Because it's when you come to realize like the great enemy that's looking at all of us, death, the finality, the fragility of life coming, and it's right at the doorstep. I'm a mama's boy. And my mom 
according to this doctor's, gone in a month. Of course, God has His own timetables. But let me tell you what I am so grateful for. I recently got up to go to Vero to be with my mom where she's from, where she lives. And I sat down with her and I just started talking with her about Jesus. Two years ago, my mom was afraid of death. She was scared. She didn't know how to process all this. I sat down with her to talk about Jesus and heaven. And her words to me were, Sam, I'm not afraid. I'm at peace. I'm ready. I just feel like God is with me. I can't tell you what a comfort that is to me. That kind of a moment strips all the other stuff away that this world throws at us, right? It's real, it's raw, and at that moment, the greatest comfort was that my mom senses the presence of God walking her through this, giving her the grace she needs in that moment. And I just worshipped God. How sweet you are for that. How kind you are in the middle of all the chaos that's raging around in my life and in our world. You drew near to my mom. She senses that you are with her. You are so good. This passage this week is a lot of historical stuff. You get a picture of this unbelievably wicked king, and it's God throughout the whole thing. You're going to see it's God going, here I am, here I am, draw near to me, draw near to me. All the world is falling apart around you. Come to me, find your strength and your security in me. And it's God's people saying, no, no, no. And the passage ends with one of the greatest comments, prophecies that Isaiah will make in all of his ministry, where he promises that God is coming into this world born of a virgin, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. And as I was preparing this message last night, that promise, God with us, And he gives the promise after all the wickedness that we're going to see in this passage today. That's the kind of God so merciful, so good, that he doesn't crush us. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't shame us. He promises, I'm coming to be with you. Praise God. He is so good. So what's the context of this passage? God's people had turned against them. The kingdom of Judah had become rotten to the core. Judah is the place where Jerusalem is and the temple is. It's, it's supposed to be the core of God's people. And this was the line, the, key, the line of Judah was supposed to be the line from which the Messiah was going to come. If you went all the way back to Genesis, through Jacob, Jacob is promising his son Judah, through your line is going to come the one who will hold the eternal kingdom. The scepter will not depart from his hand. The lion of Judah is going to rescue the world. And so everybody pays attention, the line of Judah, the line of Judah. And you get to King David, the first king to sit on the throne from the line of Judah. And God comes to David and says, through you, David, I'm going to bless the world. One of your descendants is going to rise up and he's going to be the savior of the world, David. 
And you expect that this line of David that's going to stay on the throne, even to the passage that we're in today, is going to be this wonderful, godly people. And they're not. They're awful. And yet God's promise is, I'm going to use this line of kings to bring about the salvation of the world. And so we get to King Ahaz. This is a seal of King Ahaz that the archaeologists have discovered. I just find these kinds of things encouraging to our faith. We're dealing with real people. And Ahaz is a real person. And he's one of the most wicked kings that Judah will ever see out of that line. Wicked to the core. He doesn't worship the Lord anymore. He has forsaken God. He is murdering his sons, offering them up as sacrifices in the fires to pagan gods. Unbelievable wickedness. And yet he's in the line. You go to the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find this guy in the lineage of Christ. Whoa. And in his day, everything in Judah seems to be unraveling. He's the grandson of Uzziah who we talked about last week. And so jumping into Isaiah chapter 7, this passage that we're in, it says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. But they could not yet mount an attack against it. They couldn't conquer it. I had a friend of mine reach out to me this week and say, can we just like call them Fred? <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of all these names. They're hard to keep straight. But Frank, Fred, you know. So what's happening? You can read more about this in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28 if you want to hear what's going on. But let me show you a map so you can get familiar with the players of what's going on. Because Judah right now is being attacked by Israel and Syria. So if you look at a map of the region... Next slide. So this is what the region looks like. And you'll see Judah down to the south in the orange. That's where Jerusalem is. This is where the king reigns on the throne. You go to the north, the whole kingdom, the 12 tribes of Israel had split. Judah to the south, they had a civil war. Israel to the north. And so Israel and Judah are no longer friends. You go a little bit further to the northwest and you see the kingdom of Aram Damascus. That's Syria. And so those two kingdoms come down, and they go to war against Judah. Now, why in the world are they doing that? Historical lesson. Hang on. Right now at this time, if you look up to the very top right, you'll see the Assyrian Empire in the red up top. The Assyrian Empire is going to become one of the mightiest empires in the history of the world. They are known for unbelievable cruelty. They are the first terroristic empire regime in the history of the world. They behead people. They do things I can't even talk about this morning. They are really terrible, and they're growing. They have a king in place who's made it clear that he is bound to expand. And so the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Aram, Damascus, or Syria, are going, we know we're next. They've already expanded to the east. They're coming to conquer us. Judah! Will you align with us? Ahaz, will you join us to stand against these wicked Assyrians? Because they're coming for us. And Ahaz says, I don't like you. Why would I help you? In fact, 
if they're the big dog on the block, if they're the ones who are going to ascend to power, I think I might throw my lot in with them. I might join them. And so Syria and Israel now are going, oh, we can't afford a two-front war. If we have Assyria coming down from the north and Judah coming up from the south, we're toast. And so they preemptively come through, they go through the land of Judah, and they begin just conquering town after town, city after city, killing thousands of people on their way to Jerusalem. And Tiglath-Pileser, who is the the king of Assyria, I'll show you a picture of him. He's a real attractive guy. You see him with the bearded, you know, nice beaded beards. You see him over on the right. This is at his palace. These are the remnants of his palace. And you see Tiglath-Pileser, and he's got his foot on the enemy of his neck. That's the way that Assyria ruled. They were brutal and terroristic. They were awful. And let me show you what the size of their kingdom is at this time. If you look here, you see the purple. That's Tiglath-Pileser before his campaigns. The green will be after his campaigns. He will expand. He will conquer Syria. He will conquer Israel. He is a legitimate threat. And so Syria and Israel have reason to worry. And so if you're Ahaz, let me explain what's going on at this moment. You have this awful nightmare of an empire that's building to the north. Your two closest neighbors are now invading you They kill 120,000 of your people. They take 200,000 of your people into exile. And they're still coming for the last city, Jerusalem. So in the middle of that, it's not just the two that are attacking from the north, but then the Philistines get into the action. And they say, Judah's weakened. Let's get them from the west. And the Edomites to the south say, Judah's weakened. Let's get them from the south. And so you're Ahaz and you're thinking, my goodness, everything is collapsing on every side of me. What am I going to do? And stop for a moment, take the history and set it aside. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, what's, what could possibly be next, Lord? It feels like everything is crumbling on every front. My job, my marriage, my family, my country, my church. Everything seems to be coming in on me. What do I do? It says, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, the heart of Ahaz, the heart of his people, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. You get that picture? Here comes Israel and Syria and Philistia and Edom and all the dangers that are coming. And all of Judah is just shaking like trees in the wind, like leaves. They're not anchored to anything. They're just blown into a flutter. Can you relate to that? Like, I can. And so what does God do? God looks at this man who sacrifices his kids in the fires and he's worshiping pagan gods and he's doing all of these horrible things. And it says, the Lord said to Isaiah, right, go and pronounce judgment 
Go and smack him on the head for all the evil he's done. Like, that sounds good to me. That's kind of what I want God to do to Ahaz, to be honest. Kill your kids in fires? What's wrong with you? The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and Sher Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Why does it tell us this? Ahaz is outside and he's surveying all of his water. Why? Because he knows that these kingdoms are coming for Jerusalem, but the spring is outside the walls of Jerusalem. And in ancient warfare, you surrounded a city. You didn't have any water inside the walls of the city, so they just stood out there and waited for you to dehydrate to death to where you quit. And so Ahaz is going, how do I get the water from here to inside the walls so I can withstand the siege? Because I'm going to do this in my own strength. And Isaiah comes with his son. And his name is Sher Jashub. Why does it tell us that he brings his son? It's no accident. We'll find out in Isaiah chapter 8 that his sons were named prophetically to give messages to the people. So what does this son's name mean? The remnant will return. All your people that have been captured by Israel, that have been taken up as slaves, before that ever happened, I named my son, the remnant will return. God is bringing this wicked man a word of comfort. I'm going to bring your people back. And what is Isaiah supposed to say to this wicked man, this wicked king? God says, say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of resonance Syria and the son of Ramalia. Let me explain what he is saying there. He's coming to Ahaz and he's saying, I know who you are. I know you've run from me. I know you spit in my face at every chance. But this time, like it's really serious. Things are coming after you. Be careful. Stop. Don't act impulsively. Take a moment. Be quiet. And remember who I am, what I did for your fathers and those that have come before you. Remember your first love. Remember, I am your hope, not all your schemes. And by the way, do not be afraid, I love this insult, of those two smoldering stumps of firebrands. What's a firebrand? It's if you ever get into a fire pit and you're looking at the end of the fire pit, a smoldering stump looks like this. They're burnt up. They're stumps. They're at the end of their life. You poke them with a poker and they fall apart. They are coming to their end. Do not... Give up in the face of them. They are on their way down. Instead, remember who I am. He goes on and he says, Because Syria with Israel and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Do you remember God's promise that the Messiah is going to come from the line of Judah and he is going to reign on the throne? What they're saying is, let's overthrow the line of Judah. The hope of the world, the line through which the Savior comes. Let's overthrow it. And what does the Lord say? That plan shall 
not stand. It shall not come to pass. Ahaz has heard from God all of your fretting, all the things that are going on around you. Stop. Don't fear. Be careful. Remember who I am. Their plans will not succeed. Remember who you worship. Why doesn't Ahaz take the deal? He doesn't. But I tell you what, don't you wish that you got circumstance-specific promises like that? Don't you wish that God showed up to you and said, your family members will not die of COVID. Your business will survive. Your spouse will change their behavior. Your son or your daughter will come to faith. Your mom will beat this cancer. Wouldn't you love to have circumstance-specific promises? Sure. But I want to challenge you. Like we look at Ahaz who gets this promise and we'll find he ignores it. He spits in God's face and says, I don't want your promise. I don't want your protection. God gives us not circumstance-specific promises all the time, but He gives us precious promises that apply to all circumstances. Are you claiming them? If God were to send a prophet to stand before you and say, my goodness, you're worn out. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a promise for you. Do you take it? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you feel freedom to be weak and to allow the Lord and all of his sovereignty and goodness to measure up and be your strength when you don't have the strength to go forward? That's a promise. Do you take advantage of it? Do not be anxious about anything. Another one. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and get this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you take that promise? Every circumstance. I have said these things, the words of Jesus. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. True? But take heart. I have overcome this world. Do you lean into that promise? Do you lean into the promise when John is given a picture of heaven where Christ is reigning triumphantly from the throne, declaring, behold, I make all things new? Is your hope there or in the schemes that you have to overcome the circumstances you're in right now? Then God goes on, and I want you to listen to what he's doing, because this is so profound to me anyway. He says, For the head of Assyria 
sorry, the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. In other words, here's the nation, here's the capital city, there's the king. And within 65 years, Israel will be shattered from being a people. They'll all be taken off into exile. Then he goes on and he says, okay, that was Syria. The head of Ephraim, the head of Israel, the capital city is Samaria. And the head of the capital city of Samaria is the son of Ramalia, the king. So get it. Here's the kingdom. Here's the capital city. And the head is the king. And he says, if you are not firm in faith... You will not be firm at all. You're going to live like that leaf that the slightest wind just sends fluttering. What is God? He's leaving something unsaid here. Yeah, Syria, the capital city is Damascus, and the king is Rezin. He's a man. He's going to fall. You can't trust in him. Oh, Israel? Yeah, the capital city of Samaria. And the king is the son of Ramalia. And he's going to be taken away and his people are going to be doomed in mere decades. What's left unsaid is, you kingdom of Judah, what's your capital? Oh, it's Jerusalem. Who reigns there? Is it you, Ahaz? Because if it's you, you've got reason to worry. You've got reason to flutter. But Ahaz, you know who reigns in Jerusalem, don't you? It's me. From my temple, amidst my people, the glory of God reigns from the throne in Jerusalem. And if you put your faith in me, then you will be firm. But if you go through this world thinking, no, 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 I know, yeah, yeah, God's always there, but I'm going to put my faith over here in my job, or I'm going to put my faith in my identity as a dad or a student or whatever, things are going to blow you all around all your life. The Christian comes over here and says, I see the circumstances more clearly than everyone else, and my goodness, there's a lot of them. But the Lord reigns on the throne. He reigns on the throne of my heart. He reigns over the throne of this world. Nothing is going to set him off. Nothing puts him off the throne. Nothing catches him by surprise. And he promises me good. That's another promise that I'm going to cling to in every circumstance. Amen? And so what does the king of Judah, Ahaz, do in the middle of this situation? God himself has come and said, I want to be with you. Like, what do I have to do? I'm going to save you. I'm going to protect you. And Ahaz says, I don't want you. In fact, I'm going to take all the treasury of your temple and I'm going to empty it out, all the gold, all the silver, all the priestly garments, and I'm going to send it to the king of Assyria as payment for being my defense. Not you, God, the terrorists. Ooh. And he shuts the doors of the temple and he imports all these pagan altars to scatter all around the courtyard of the temple. And you're waiting like, God, like crush him like a bug. How could he do that to you after all the promises you've given him? And he's still not trusting in you. He's still giving his heart to everything and anything else like me so often. Historical, I love this nerdy stuff, but you could literally write this history without the Bible at all. So this is an encouragement to faith, but a mental break. 
They found in Tiglath-Pileser's palace tablets that talk about this. He, in his writing, I received tribute from Ahaz of Judah, including gold, silver, iron, fine cloth, and many garments, which were from the temple. How do we know that? Because they were wool dyed with purple. He's emptied out the treasury of God to chase after the protections of Assyria. This, when Assyria finally does, because they don't protect Israel. They don't do anything. He's emptied out the treasury, and he's got nothing for it. Much time goes by, and eventually Assyria does conquer Damascus. And he writes in his tablet this. In order to save his life, Rezin, the king of Syria that was coming against Judah, fled alone and entered the gate of a city like a mongoose. Like, I love that. I impaled his foremost men alive while making the people of his land watch. They're terrorists. I surrounded and captured the ancestral home of Rezin. I destroyed 591 cities or villages and 16 districts in the land of Damascus. And on the wall, you see the relief that captures the scene. This is what it looked like. And you see, that's Tiglath-Pileser over there firing the, the arrow. You see his soldiers on the top of the buildings throwing them down from the walls. You see the guy on the bottom beheading the soldier, the Syrian soldier. Like, this stuff happened. Just as the Bible says that it happened. But here's what the Assyrians do not do. They don't go rescue the captives. You know who does that? A prophet of God sent to the leaders of Israel to say, you are going to make the wrath of God burn against you. Those 200,000 women, we won't talk about captives left behind, those 200,000 women and children and captives, give them back. And every one of them is mounted on camels and donkeys and dressed up and sent back to Judah. God delivered them. God is the one who kept Jerusalem from falling. Assyria did nothing. And so then, here comes the wildest part. God was faithful to Judah, even though they spat in his face again and again. And now get this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Are you kidding me? Does your mercy know no limits? Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. Let me tell you what he's doing. He's coming to Ahaz saying, what did I do? Why won't you come to me? Why won't you lead my people in righteousness? Ask for a sign. I'll do anything as high as the heavens, as deeps of the depths of hell. Ask me. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. He's not pious. He doesn't want to ask. And do you know why he doesn't want to ask? Because he just wants God to go away. He's afraid that God will answer. And if God answers whatever sign he asks for, then he's got to contend with the fact that he owes God his life. And you see, the reality is so often, when we look at God, we want a blessing. We don't want the blesser. We don't want to surrender our thrones. You know, in Christianity, one of the 
the sad things that's happened in the last hundred years is when you think of evangelism, when you think of salvation, when we present Christianity to somebody, it usually goes something like this. If you accept Jesus, then you get to go to heaven. And it sounds a lot like if you eat your vegetables, you can have some ice cream. If you accept Jesus, you'll get something good. No. Jesus is the treasure. It's not if you accept Jesus, you get heaven. It's if you accept Jesus, you get Jesus. The Son of God who would die for you on the cross, the wellspring of every blessing. You're excited about heaven? I get it. Me too. But even that is just the overflow of His goodness, and you get Him. You get Him to walk with you through every circumstance. You get His comfort. You get His presence. You get His power. He is the prize. And Ahaz, I don't want him. So Isaiah pops in and says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little that you weary men like me, that now you weary my God also? And then he offers one of the greatest, most amazing promises that's for you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want it. He's going to give it to his people anyway. You spit in his face at every turn. He's still coming for you. He's relentless. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. What does that mean? This line of kings that's just corrupt and a mess again and again. There's no righteousness. There's nothing. It's not coming. They're not going to be able to claim themselves as the father. Why? Because this child's going to be born of a virgin. He is going to be the son of the living God, not subject to death, not subject to the circumstances of this world, not fluttering around, a king of righteousness who can defeat death, whose very father is God Almighty. I'm sending him to reign on the throne of my kingdom. She shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah shows up with a son that's named a remnant shall return. God shows up with a son named I'm with you. Forever. Nothing could peel me away from you. Can you understand the lengths of my mercy and my love for you? I would do anything for you. And so, this son comes into the world. He lives this perfect life. And we hate him. And you know what happens to this son? You remember what happened to the sons of Ahaz? For his wickedness, They're cast into the fires and they die. Here comes the Son of God, Emmanuel. Do you know what that name means? How can God be with us forever? We're broken, we're defiled, we're sinful. How can we be with Him forever? Here's how. The Son of God came into this world and He was thrown into the fires. 
fires that we deserve, the wrath of God meant for all of our sin and all the ways that we spit in his face and neglect him and mistreat one another and are unjust. The son of God comes in and says, I will write the scales and he goes into the fires, but it does not destroy him. It does not put him to death. Instead, he plunges. Remember the sign from the highest of heaven? Well, here he comes from the highest of heavens. And where is he going? To the depths of hell. Why? Because on that journey, you know what he's going to do? He is going to plunder the enemy. And he's going to snatch people like me from the depths of hell and take me to the heights of heaven and to take my mom to the heights of heaven and to take you to the heights of heaven. God coming into this world born of a virgin, becoming a man facing the wrath of God in hell to redeem us? What more of a sign could you ask for? Really? What more could he give? He's with you. And he loves you to that measure. Grab hold of his promises and thrill his heart by doing so. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and you're so patient. And we look at Ahaz and we think, my goodness, this guy is so obstinate and rebellious and I can see myself in him. How many times do you call me to just be with you? but I just want you to serve my interest. I want you to fix my circumstances when you promise to walk with me through every circumstance. What treasure we already have by faith. Lord, help us to have the wisdom and the courage and the faith to grab hold of promises that are already ours for every single circumstance in a world that is so filled with tragedy. Help us to have eyes that are fixed on the one who has conquered sin and who has conquered death and who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and made us sons and daughters of the kingdom of light. You are so good. And you are with us. When we leave here today, let us not forget, you go with us always. We give thanks in the name of Christ. Amen.